Hey friends, welcome back to Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous. I'm your host, Julia Washington. And on this week's episode, Christina and I talk about season two, episode one of Mixed Dish. Mixedish is a spinoff of Blackish, which airs on ABC. The story follows Dr. Rainbow Johnson's childhood in the 1980s, being a mixed race teen. In the show, Bo's mom, played by Tika Sumter, is black, and her dad, played by Mark Paul Gosler, is white. Bo has two younger siblings, Johan and Santa Monica. Other regular characters in the show include her mother's sister, Aunt Dee Dee, and her paternal grandfather, Harrison Jackson. Season two, episode one opens up with the premise of family TV night where the family comes together to watch Dukes of Hazard. when Bo and her siblings come home from school and she shares that Johan has been called a name. Bo can't bring herself to say the word and her parents make the assumption that their young son has finally encountered his first time being called that word. Okay, now here we go to the show. So today, Christina, we are talking about Mixed Dish, but specifically season two, episode one, because I feel like yes. that episode is so huge in terms of a conversation. Like the whole series is amazing in my mind, but like this particular episode is kind of huge. So you watched it because I told you to. I did. <laughs> I did. And then I got on like a little rabbit hole. I was like, I got to, you know, I do too many things at once. So I was watching it and cleaning my apartment. But I yeah. had watched like four episodes and then I was like, oh, this is season two. Go back. Start yeah. over. Yeah. So then I went back to like season one and then I was like, wait, we're only going to be talking about the first episode. So then then I like switch gears again and I'm like, would you just focus like right. just watch some episodes? But I, it made me feel like I got a whole bunch like about them in such a short amount of time and I loved yeah. them already. Yeah, I think that ABC is doing a really good job with the show. I was a little nervous. Like I, I told you offline, I was nervous when they recast Ander Holmes with Mark Paul Gossler because he's just not had any wins lately. So it's like, oh my God, mm-hmm. that's like the kiss of I also like it took me the whole episode to realize that was Zach Morris (laughs) I was sitting there and I was like why does this man look familiar who is he and I'm like but I don't like I could not pinpoint a movie or anything I'm like I don't know him and then by the end I was like wait wait a second (laughs) yeah yeah then Um, I just felt very wrong I was like Oh, he's old enough to be doing this now. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's probably close to 50 at this point, if not older. Okay, so to dive in, the show opens up with the family is at the house. So, okay, before we start, sorry, before Mm -hmm. we dive into the episode, can I ask you like some questions like just about the show itself and like how you felt when you saw that show coming out, how excited you felt versus like how nervous you felt like on the representation side. It's a spinoff of Blackish. So Blackish came out, I want to say in like 2012, maybe. And the premise of Blackish is Kenya Burris developed this TV show with ABC where it is based on his family and his wife since 1999 is rainbow on the show played by tracy ellis ross is based on his and on his wife because like the whole premise of the show is sort of loosely based on his family because he does have four kids five now or do they have six kids now either way oh the point God. is i remember the first trailer i saw for blackish there was you know because Tra- tracy ellis ross is mixed her mom's diana ross and her dad is jewish poor man whose name i can never remember anthony anderson plays dre Bo's husband and there's this scene where they're in their room and he's like babe you don't understand you're like not that black and she's like can somebody tell my hair and my ass that and I was like mm-hmm. <laughs> you right mm-hmm. that's my girl right there we're gonna get into this show and we did I mean the whole family watches it we love it it's so funny yeah so when the first spinoff was Grownish, which is on Freeform, which is when the oldest daughter, Zoe, goes off to college. Last year was the first season for Mixed Dish, but it was in development for a while because it was the last thing Kenya Burris developed for ABC before leaving because of creative differences 
and jumping ship and going to Netflix and making a boatload of money with Netflix as many people have lately. I feel like I just learned so much about pop culture when we talk like (laughs) like six points and you're over here like I got research in diabolical plants and I'm like oh my god well I I really well when Blackish came on I was like this is really great because they're doing a lot of historical information woven into the show a lot of stuff that people don't know about like they did an episode about Juneteenth and I literally had somebody at work go I didn't even know that was a thing and I'm like yeah we don't teach it in school like why would you like that's our independence Day. There's celebrations all over the country. And also here's kind of horrific the American history is because it took two fucking years for people in Texas to even learn that they were free. So go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, you know? And so they did a really good job with that episode. They have a really good episode about colorism. It's just, it's really good. So when they were like, we're going to do a show about, cause they make fun of Bo a lot on the show for having grown up in a commune and and not as much lately in the more recent seasons, but there was a lot of like throwbacks to her being mixed or a lot of callbacks to her being mixed in like, well, you were, ra- you were raised kind of white too kind of stuff. So when they announced mixed dish, my sister and I were like, Ooh, this is going to be interesting. And yeah. On Blackish, they had her siblings as adults. I used to have this joke about how, like, I was Rashida Jones Black, where it's like, you can't really tell that I'm Black, but girl, I'm Black. And then they cast Rashida Jones to play Bo's sister, Santa Monica. And I was like, it's like, you guys heard me. <laughs> like, it's like, you guys heard me and knew that we needed, like, a Black girl like me. <laughs> And for people who are listening who don't know, Rashida Jones is um, Quincy Jones and Peggy Lipton's daughter. And Peggy Lipton is of Mod Squad fame. And if you don't know who Quincy Jones is, I can't help you. Every time I hear like Quincy Jones, I think of his name in like the puff paint letters on the bottom of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air when I'd watch it like at Nick at Night. Yeah. (laughs) Growing up. And that's not even like his height of his fame either no of course not that's just like that's the height of his fame in my mind (laughs) yeah so my sister and I always joke that mixed dish is like growing up our lives were not that different from mixed dish minus the hippie commune because our parents were conservative Christians so, uh, so okay. that's not going to be a thing that we're and ever going to And your parents, it's the opposite. My mom's Italian and my dad's black. Which makes me think of, I don't know which episode. I think it might have been this episode where he was like, your passing is like Mexican. Like if you're going to pass as anything, pass as white or Italian. Or at, at le- least at the very least Italian. Yeah. Gary yeah. is so good as Harrison Jackson, the grandpa. He just has this sort of arrogance about him that he in this character that's just so amazing but the episode opens up with the kids coming home and Bo's like Johan's been called this terrible word blah 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 and the parents are like oh my god this is it this is the time has come we have to this is where I love little siblings too (laughs) Santa Monica going I'll say it it. it. I was like "Mm, Santi I feel like you and me are very similar and then if if you watch Blackish, you already know coming into the mixedish show that Santa Monica grows up to be like married a couple times and she's on Blackish's equivalent of the Real Housewives show. And so she, you know, grows up to be this total like she uh, she's big personality. Like, I don't know if it was season one or season two, but she's like, I'm gonna get divorced a lot when I grow up. And, and like and the narrator, she's like, she does. <laughs> yeah, and 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 if you watch if you watched Blackish, like you already know that. So her saying that is even funnier. So anyway, what I loved about this first episode of the season is that any family where you have when you're uh not a part of the major dominant culture in this situation, a black family you have those conversations about racism early on because kids aren't immune to being treated with racial prejudice. And I think by adults, by adults. Yeah. And like, and and that's what I mean. Like there is, there is no immunity there. So for the parents to have that innocence from the hippie commune and just in general, even though they're progressive, even though they marched with Dr. King, it still didn't necessarily dawn on them that this could happen to their 10 year old. (laughs) And I'm like, Alicia, you should know better because you, it happened to you when you were 10. Like, I don't know why I love the fact that they like were from a hippie commune for some reason. Like, (laughs) like 
it's such a weird element to the show that makes it like I think it helps remind you that it's a show like to take it lighthearted and like yeah. laugh and giggle because I feel like otherwise like America would almost be slapped in the face aggressively like well with blackish they do slap you in the face aggressively with it I mean and, I think mixed so- they do too but I'm saying like the hippie commune is the one thing or the running show joke the like the running mm-hmm. thing underlying message to like refer back to to lighten moods mm. to make it so that it is a 20 or 25 minute sitcom and not a you know hour and a half documentary yeah what I thought was hilarious was when <laughs> Santa Monica finally is like wait this is the word that he was called <laughs> and everyone's like what <laughs> like they don't know how to pivot and it was it her sister was like yeah with that hair and I just am like what <laughs> oh man and then Gary Cole's character and that's assuming that assuming he's your dad yeah. sure you're oh, not that- Mexican <laughs> perfect immediately just like in it with like well we don't even know if he's your dad anymore (laughs) dad coming in clutch with like to make things worse he does that all the time it's just so funny it's yeah I mean it's not funny it's actually it's also just like a perfect Gary it's the perfect grandpa stereotype where everybody has a grandpa that says things that they're not supposed to and everyone knows it and you're like god all right just laugh just laugh at grandpa right Gary Cole, I think, like, I, you know, my first exposure to Gary Cole was Office Space, and I hated him. I mean, he was a, he played a great character, but like, I hated him. Like, everyone's had that boss, and you're just like, fuck mm-hmm. that guy. And then he showed up on The Good Wife as this like rugged cowboy type, and he was Christine Baranski's love interest. And it was like, Gary Cole, hi, look at you with your cowboy hat and tight pants. Like, oh my God, you're like so sexy right now like but it was like the good wife for me where I was just like all right you kind of sexy I'm here for it that's awesome um so okay so that kind of takes us into how like how racism explaining it to children is kind of difficult it's muddy waters to like navigate I would say I think any and then I was gonna ask you like specifically for you going from your family and then to your like creating your own family the talk that you had growing up versus how you have it with your children how does it change you know like can we tie all of that in like I'm really interested sure so there's a scene in the show where Alicia and Paul realize those are the parents realize that the world doesn't see their children the way that they see their children that because so it comes out in the episode that the kid who calls Johan this racial slur is also a black child and so Alicia is devastated because that to her is saying this black child doesn't recognize another black child and what does that mean like if we don't recognize each other in our own community like oh my god people don't see my child the way that I see my child. And I think Mm -hmm. that's a really important conversation for parents who are going into an interracial relationship don't necessarily have because they're like, we're in love and love conquers all. It's like, love doesn't actually conquer all assholes. You don't know what kind of racism that your child's going to experience. And they touch on that in the show. Like Alicia eventually says, my experiences are going to be different from your experiences. And we don't necessarily recognize that in general in parenting. But then when you add the layer of racism, and racial prejudice to it we really don't know right so like growing up and I think I talked about this in the first episode my parents created this bubble that's like safe for us and we can be who we are and we're loved and we can thrive in that bubble but then when you get out of that bubble the world's just like the fuck is this like what are you and I really actually love the conversation between Bo and Johan when when Johan admits to Bo finally that he's like it's just easier not to correct people because when I say that I mixed and then all of the follow-up questions and Bo is like I also hate those follow-up questions too because those follow-up questions fucking suck because you're constantly having to defend or explain your existence. And you don't have to do that if you're monoracial or look monoracial. The amount of times I've heard, you look exotic. First of all, ew. Secondly, okay, like what the fuck do you want me to do with that? And the questions that Bo and Johan say to each other that they hear all the time, like, what are you? Are you more black or are you more white? And like shit, like you just don't ask children those questions because all we know as children is this is my family. This is my existence. It's so innocent. 
And then when you bring in somebody who's like, I don't get what you are, explain it to me. So I thought that the writers did a really good job at figuring out how to capture that shock and confusion. One Mm -hmm. with the parents. I, I just assumed people would see my children the way I see my children. I thought they did a really good job at like bringing that shocker in. I thought it was funny too <laughs> when they found out that he was doing an accent. Oh my God. <laughs> He's like, you've okay. been doing an accent? It's yeah. never okay. <laughs> Ansel, unless it's funny. And I'm like, oh my God, we all have that sibling. Like that's yeah. my brother. Like, I'm like, shut up, shut up, shut up. I think the reason why I was like, we have to do an episode about this show is because it really highlights you can't make assumptions about people based on what they look like. And that's a lot of what racial prejudice is. Absolutely. So so when Johan admits they just assumed, and I never corrected them, I thought, yeah, you know, a 10 year old's not going to put in the work because he's 10. He shouldn't have to. Yeah. He shouldn't have to explain his existence, especially coming from the context of a hippie commune. Like that's already. (laughs) So like a thing. He's like, I'm he's like, passing as Mexican. He's like, yeah, but I'm not passing Spanish. Like, same dude. Yeah. Me and you both, Johan. He talked about he was planting his quinceanera. That made me laugh. <laughs> like, Johan. <laughs> like, you're but, not even female. <laughs> but what was so funny about him, like, like, no, you can't come to the school. And the because, you know, parents want to course correct. They want to make things right. They want to stand up for their children. And they're like, why can't we come to the school? And then that's how they learn that he's been passing him as Mexican. Cause if his parents show up at the campus, people will be like, Oh, so you're not Mexican. Like your mom's black. What? But he had, he had presence of mind enough to know like that's bad because he's lying. He's seeing yeah. it in the context of I've been lying. lying. And so the lie is bad. Not the root of the lie is bad, but like, I've just been lying period. That's bad. But then you pull back the layers in the context and it becomes like really just like, ah, oh, this is hard because they're children and that's not fair. Stop doing that to children. And it, and it will, the other hard thing is it's, it's children doing it to the other children. So it's like, you can't even be mad at the children because they're just literally, they're being kids. They're curious and they're asking questions and they're exploring you know, and mm-hmm. part of being a kid is learning boundaries from your other peers. Mm-hmm. So you have to teach your kids to be like, to assert themselves and be like, I don't have to answer that, you know, to you, yeah. or I don't have to talk about that with you instead of just like, like we said, passing or, you know, doing something to make it easier on their own mental state, which is fair. You know, yeah. it is fair. Like they shouldn't have to do that. Uh, the explaining process. <laughs> I mean, but it's like a part of it is just prepping your kids to go out into the world to know that it does not matter what someone looks like. You don't have the right to ask them what they are. Like if they would like to share that with you, then that's up to them. And mm-hmm. you then, you know, if they want to open up a conversation about that, but like, we got to just teach our kids to be more like, I don't even know, like not, it's not all- more, ex- not more accepting, but more like more interested in how we learn about cultures in a more authentic way so that we're not appropriating. I always know when somebody suspects that I'm something because of the way that they act towards me. And it's not a negative thing. It's just like a, oh, they think they figured out what I am. So now they're going to buddy, buddy up with me and start like being my friend and they're going to stroke my ego. And then without fail it's either interaction number three or four where they're like so and you're like fuck I know what that so means and here we go and so what was what are you or are you like do you have like black in you the way you ask that is weird (laughs) wait I'm so sorry that's a way someone's asked you not someone lots of people (laughs) yeah do you have like a little black in you do you like think maybe little, you could like ask a, that? Is there a, a little diff- alien in me? That <laughs> there's just so many ways that that statement could be taken. Where you're just like, I just kind of think that maybe don't ask that. Let all it I come can, out organically. All I can think about is just a penis. <laughs> <laughs> right. So like, like, no, I don't. Johan at 10 years old, Bo at 13 years old, Santa Monica doesn't give a shit because she's like, I'm fly as fuck. And they're already exhausted with having to explain who they are and why they're allowed to exist. There was this huge conversation online a couple of years ago where people are like, 
we don't have to explain this anymore to people who are not about our culture. It's not our job to educate everybody and da, da, da. And at first I was like, yeah, but how are we going to create open dialogues? So people who maybe don't have the exposure and the experience of your culture to understand. And then for like a month, people were asking me what I was. And I was just like, I'm fucking 37. Well, at the time I was not 37, but now I can confidently say I'm fucking 37 and I'm exhausted by this. And I'm like, and I think I've been exhausted by those conversations for 20 plus years. But now that we're actually having these conversations online about like, you don't get to ask, just let it come out organically. I can, I can now say and look back and realize like, that's how I've always felt. I've just always played the game because when you're outnumbered, you kind of don't really want to get backed into a corner on anything. Mm -hmm. Even like, I think I told you this, even a couple of weeks ago, I had a coworker say to me, if I didn't know your dad, I wouldn't know you were black. I would think you were Latina. And I was like, okay. (laughs) And uh, I, yeah, I guess like, what do you want me to do with that? That's such a common thing to probably more so because of the area we're in to be mistaken for um some version of latin yeah when you're of a mixed race just because of where we are but i would yeah i think a lot of people in the mixed communities would have experience in being improperly like misidentified um, i've had people are you dominican like I mean, I don't know any Dominicans in California. Are there? It, because I've not, like I've said <laughs> in the past, I've never lived anywhere but Modesto. So I don't really know if there's like a Dominican Republic pockets of population in our state. But I know that there's like a huge Dominican representation in New York. So here's how my brain works. When someone asks me, oh, are you Dominican? Or if they ask if I'm Puerto Rican, I get that quite a bit too. I'm mm-hmm. thinking, oh, you're from, you. Might, I feel like maybe you're from back East, but I'm not going to blatantly ask you, are you from back East? I'm going to let it come out organically because that's going to help me understand why you think that I look like I could be Dominican or Puerto Rican because that's your exposure. Whenever and, uh, We also have to say like, there's a difference between asking someone where they're from and asking someone what, like, what are you? No, there's not because people who ask, what are you also ask, where are you from? And when you say you're from, or excuse me, I'll speak for myself. When I say I'm from Modesto, that's not enough. That doesn't, that doesn't explain why I look the way I look. No, no, I understand. I'm just saying like in general terms, when you're getting to know someone, when you're talking to someone, when you're like having a conversation, Mm -hmm. you can ask someone like where they're from. Just like, I would say like, Oh, where are you from? Like from Seattle, whatever, just to get a sense of who they are as a person. Yeah. That's okay. Like that's okay. But if you're asking where they're from, to figure out what they are that's not okay right and that's that's what I'm saying is like there's a because I know that people are going to be like well now we can't ask people where they're from like that's not what we're saying you can ask people where they're from but you can't ask people where they're from. like you can't ask people where they're from to get more information to help you decide what they are like just wait for them to tell you or wait for it to come out naturally yeah I guess it's the way that where you're from is asked because you're not yeah. wrong. We do ask, you know, yeah, where are you we from? ask, that's all, but that's all I was trying to clarify. When, Sorry. So coming from my experience, where are you from? is not an innocent question. It is a question to figure out my racial identity. I'm saying like people, I don't think people from like in our town should be asking you where you're from. That's not fair. <laughs> I'm saying like, yes, when you travel and stuff, like it does hit different or people you've never met before, like yeah. genuine strangers. If they say like, where are you from? Like they don't fucking know you live here. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, uh, I'm from here and they're like oh okay like then do you know where to eat like yeah are that's you all local? I mean. <laughs> are you local that one I hear are you local here yeah I am thanks stop reminding that. me stop reminding me that I've never left here guys <laughs> are you a local like if you it sounds cute when you're from like a beach town like are you a local like oh you're a local like mm-hmm. when, you're from, when you're from our town you're like yeah <laughs> whenever anyone's like oh you've always lived here it's like a jab in the heart thanks for reminding me that I never got out you're like I moved to Manteca for a year it was cool no I would never move to Manteca sorry Manteca it's a different county the sales tax is higher like if I'm gonna pay a higher sales tax I'm moving to the Bay Area or LA oh my god the Bay Area is so expensive though I know it is but if I'm gonna pay more sales tax than I'm paying in Stanislaus County I'm not moving to San Joaquin County. No, absolutely. What I like about 
Aunt Dee Dee and Grandpa Harrison, Alicia and Paul get really consumed by having to do everything this very particular way to keep their children feeling safe, loved, and wanted. And then they kind of have these blinders to the real world because one, they've lived in a commune for so long. And then two, when you create a family that isn't like quote typical, there's different factors involved. So I love the, that the characters, Denise and Harrison exist because they kind of pull them back into quote reality from time to time. And especially in this episode, when Denise comes back and is like, y'all lived in a commune for so long, you're basically teaching this child to not be proud of who he is because you moved to a commune that didn't celebrate anything. Everyone was equal. And so now here he is in the real world. And he's just kind of like being passive about you know, all of these things happening, but then we find out he's not being passive. He just is tired of like answering questions about who he is. And so I really like that those two characters exist within the show, because I think it's so easy when you are in an inner, I'm not speaking from experience. I've not dated somebody long enough to create a family with them. So I don't know, but as a child observing, like you need those outside elements sometimes to help remind you, like the world isn't going to see your children the way that you see your children. And the parents kind of coming to that realization of just like, holy shit, they're going to have different experiences than we are. I think the aunt and the grandpa really helped them get to that realization. And that's so important because if you go into parenting mixed children and don't have that realization, you're setting yourself up for failure in terms of being able to support them. Case in point, when they're trying to explain what that racial slur is to Johan and like, they have no explanation. They can't figure out how to explain it because it's outside of their culture. Yeah, that was funny. That's when I texted you. I texted you like, what does she mean? What is like, was that a joke? Because I didn't get it. No, no, she just was like trying to pull something out of her ass to sound like an intelligent person. Which I feel like that is something. Yeah, we also all try to do like you try so hard to teach your kids like as much as you can so that those scenarios don't pop up. But it's like you try so hard to teach them about their own cultures that you're like, shit, I can't teach. I can't learn about all the cultures and then teach you, you know, like, I don't know where that one came from. Like, we should probably learn about that. But (laughs) We're on this problem right now. <laughs> and I love that his dad tried to make a children's book. So you've been called the N-word. And everyone's like, what? No. What is happening? And then that's when Santa Monica's like, that's not what he was called, y'all. He was called this. <laughs> it's like, wait. <laughs> Which is basically what kicks off the episode and the conversation about, oh, our children aren't going to be seen by the world the way that we see them. You've talked about how your parents have raised you, like going with raising your kid. Do you carry on some of those same conversations that you had growing up or do you change them and spruce them up with the times or um, I, I, my child can pass for white. So I think it was three years ago that I realized that all of these parenting things that I have based on kind of how we were raised were not not that they're invalid, but they weren't as necessary as it was to keep my brother safe. Yes. So, but he does, he did spend a lot of time with my dad. So it's not completely invalid and it's not completely unnecessary for me to have those conversations with him. It also kind of opens his mind to like an empathetic way, you know, to his own family line and I'm well, sure to like his friends and everything yeah, else. We're double agents and being a double agent is really hard because people yeah. don't know. They don't know your context. They don't know your history. They don't know your experiences. So when they say hella racist shit or racially prejudiced stuff or like really racist jokes, you're just like, <laughs> you don't know that I'm a double agent. So this is fun. So now I know the truth about who you are. So gonna delete you out of my phone there's no gonna be really really hard like it is and there's no it's there's not a lot of conversation around it because our country's still trying to grapple with the insane amounts of racism that still exist and still happen every day so when you're a double agent and you hear things like it's almost like we don't have a platform to talk about those things I did see a TikTok recently of a guy whose dad is black his mom is white and he kind of said you know all these things that he hears being a mixed race person and people assuming he's white. I was reading, <laughs> I was reading some of this stuff because Buzzfeed did a thing about it. Problem number one with the way that Buzzfeed titled their article, the title that they 
called the article was bothersome to me. There doesn't seem to be any validity in the mixed race experience and like experiencing people treating you as if you're monoracial. And so they think you're a safe person to say there's really shitty things in front of. So Buzzfeed did a title. It was biracial people who pass for white are exposing racist moments that happened right in front of them. So I, I shared it and I said, traumatic experiences, mixed people have had. And then I wrote, fixed it because it's, it's traumatic for, I can't speak to everybody, but it's traumatic for me to hear other people that I've gotten to know and maybe liked a little bit. And then they say this stuff and you're just like this, that's hard. Number one, number two, fuck you, because I don't understand why you still have racial prejudice. And number three, like I we're done here. Like I'm a double agent and I'm sorry that you're upset that you're realizing now that I'm a double agent. You just shouldn't be this shitty of a person. Yeah. It's, it's, it's even shittier because then they try to make you feel bad about what they did. And you're like, no, you don't get to make me feel bad twice. It's that headline to me was like, we still have a lot of work to do in the mixed community to get validated. We And I don't need outside validation. I just want society to acknowledge like these experiences can be really upsetting and traumatic for people, especially when it happens with a family member or like somebody you've been friends with for 20 years says something and you're just like, hold up, what? We've been friends for 20 years and you just said that out loud, like knowing that, like you knowingly said that in front of me, knowing, I'm going to say it like this. You said that in front of me. We've been friends for 20 years. You know that I'm black. (laughs) So it's not even an ignorance thing at that point. Like it's very clear when you walk into my house or meet my family that I am a black woman. Mm -hmm. And you just said that? Okay. Like, so there's no space for us to have these conversations about when these traumatic things happen. And that's really hard too, because if you try to talk to somebody about it and they don't understand it or their experiences with racism have been way more horrific and traumatic, which we got to stop doing that to people, but still like, then there becomes this sort of competition of like, well, like we talked about in Ginny and Georgia, my oppression and issues with racism are worse and harder than yours. And, and that, then that creates a divide between people who really should be coming together and bonding over traumatic experiences and how we can heal and help and learn and grow. Absolutely. I mean, you figured that's how a lot of people try to just trauma in general, any kind of mental health trauma. Like we, we tend to do the comparison game, like, oh, well, I have it harder because X, Y, and Z, even like in our own heads to mm-hmm. like prevent ourselves from getting help. It's like, well, I know this person and they went through this and they're fine. So why should I go get help? Like, well, yeah, we have to allow that space, like for people to grow and to heal and to talk about their experience experiences because yeah someone might have had it worse but it doesn't invalidate the way you felt during Mm -hmm. your time of feeling that the buzzword of sorry that was the safest way for me to compare I don't want to like I don't I don't want to claim that I have the same mixed experiences but I could say for the mental health aspect like I can understand you know absolutely the like the not feeling like as validated as somebody else or feeling like whatever. Mm -hmm. I digress. There's a conversation that's been happening in the last handful of years about toxic positivity, right? So I need to be, I need to suck it up and be happy because I have X, Y, and Z and that's good enough. But if I'm still not happy and there's still something missing, like, why are we doing that to ourselves? Why are we still saying like, you should be happy? Like stop shooting all over me, number one. And number two, you're seeing my life from the outside. You may or may not be a person that I feel comfortable and safe with about having certain conversations. We as women do this all the time. I'm fine. It's fine. It's going to be fine. And, but that that's the cap on like you, somebody just sharing these really like stressful and slightly horrific things that you're just like, I need you to not cap that with. I'm fine. It's fine. We're, I'm going to be fine. Cause that's, you're not, you're not. And telling yourself you're going to be fine is not actually making the path towards being fine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I would say everybody's guilty of that in some, in some capacity. And that's something that you need to, you know, in order to change that, you have to be self-aware to stop doing it to yourself. Mm-hmm. And that way we don't, you know, model that behavior for 
kids or just other peers. Yeah. If you set the boundary for yourself, then you have those other people look up to you like, oh man, well, they seem really happy because they genuinely just tell people, no, I can't do that. I do love that at the end of the episode, when Bo kind of puts the, you know, cause the 30 minute sitcom, just wrap it up real nice. And a pretty, pretty bow, pretty and, bow and rainbow comes together. Yeah. He gets buttoned up and resolved. Um, but rainbow does say something that was really impactful to me about how she, she like, she realizes that her parents did sort of create this space of unconditional love and support to allow them to grow up, to be confident adults. And I think that's so it's, that's a huge element to parenting in general, but especially when you have, um, biracial or mixed race children, because you leave that safety of a bubble and you walk into, like, we've talked about this. You walk into a room, people are like, Oh, what are you? And so being able to like, give your children more confidence than what maybe other children might have. So that way, when they do face those situations, they can just navigate it really well. And I think that this, what this episode does is demonstrates that really well, that at an early age, Alicia and Paul see their children, they have a hurdle, they give them the tools they need to be able to continue to navigate that. And then in, if someone goes back and watches Blackish and sees the episodes that Santa Monica and Johan show up in as adults, while their characters are quite hilarious, there's still that confidence. The confidence is still there. The The ability to navigate and to choose the life that they want to have, despite what people see, despite how people see them is, is present. And that's huge because it is so easy to get knocked down by the world and to start believing all of that shit that yeah. people say to you and that people do to you. You have to set up a really good foundation because some stuff may not happen right away. Some stuff might hit when your kids are like in their late thirties, being able to navigate that and have the strength yeah. to navigate that you ha- that starts really early. And it's not always as blatant as like, you're going to experience this and you need to navigate it. It's creating space for your children to become who they are and confident in who they are. So they can navigate whatever shows up in 10 years, 20 years, 40 years. That sounds like something for a parenting podcast because I don't know how to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Y'all need to go to a parenting podcast for advice on that. But I completely understand what you're saying there. I think it was cool because there's a lot of stuff here that I had absolutely, I mean, I wouldn't know because Mm -hmm. it's not my experience, but like, like now talking to you, like, yeah, like that sounds there's so many things that like I would have not known or experienced that I can't even imagine how you begin to like process that as an adult mm-hmm. and like then heal from it and then to keep having to deal with it like that's got to be super hard and it's definitely makes me more self-aware and I'm like oh shit like what have I ever said that's problematic because I'm that's people like I'm sure I have and I gotta fix it but and I'm still learning it's, too. Like, yeah, I'm, we know, all are. I'm close to 40 and I'm never going to, I'm never going to fully master it. There are sometimes I catch myself still to this day where I'm just like, Fuck, I need to work on that mindset. I need to reframe that mindset and figure out why this is my reaction. Like, why am I mm-hmm. reacting this way? And then sort of moving forward with that, knowing how to navigate it. And it's a, finding people online to have conversations with in safe spaces and, you know, reading books and just very different things like that. And it, it's a lot of time and it's a lot of work it can be really worth it in the end. Going forward with the show, I know that it's only on season two. So hopefully there's many more seasons to come. What are some conversations or some experiences you hope that they go over in the show that you hope to see? if any, or are there any like family dynamics that you wish will like come, come about that like were in your own family that you want to see on the, on screen? It's a really good question. I don't know if I've ever thought about it because we've never had mixed representation on TV before like this. <laughs> so how cool that now you actually get the space to think about that. Like, I know. And also how sad, but like, there's a, there's an episode. I don't know if you watched it, but there's an episode where Santa Monica was like, are we going to have black people hot salad? And I texted my sister. I was like, 
holy shit. And she's like, I know it's the best line ever. And it's, she's talking about collard greens for people who don't know. And collard greens. See, is, I didn't know. know. Thank my sister and I like, it, we did not salad. watch the episodes <laughs> at the same time. Like she had watched it a week before me, but all I had to do was text, you know, Santa Monica and her hot black people, hot salad. She's like, ah, and she just knew. And we were dying laughing. I have this memory I think it was Easter. I can't remember what year. It was definitely late nineties and it was our turn to host Easter. And my grandparents came over and my mom made collard greens and my grandmother literally says to my mother, this is my father's mother. I've never had a white person make collard greens so good before. And I'm like, okay, so, so, so there's so many things about that statement. That's like a lot one, one granny, we can't, you can't really, you really probably shouldn't say something like that to somebody who's been married at that point, you know, 25 years to your, to your son. <laughs> really dedicated life partner right there. And she's just like, mystery, oh, you actually mystery. You actually did a good job. Thing. Good job Two, I have some white friends from the South who, um, you know, collard greens is part of their I was going to say, I thought that was like a Southern thing more so. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And so, so that statement, so growing, so becoming an adult and I'm like, oh man, I need to find a place that has really good collard greens. I haven't had any good collard greens since my grandparents left or there was this restaurant at one point. Since my grandma made that comment. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And now mom won't make them. And And so, so that scene was really funny. I didn't know we needed mixed dish is I guess my point. I didn't know we needed it. So now I have to think about it and everyone's mixed black experience is different too. I didn't know there were as many like mixed families as there are because there aren't a lot here and it's not represented a lot in pop culture. Mm-hmm. So like whenever um, there's a celebrity who's mixed, I'm always like, oh yeah, I knew. And people are like, why would you know a thing like that? I'm like, because we're a fucking team. Because <laughs> we're like the secret Avengers. Like, okay. We're that's like, why a double agent <laughs> always knows a double agent. Okay. <laughs> That just reminds me of like Adolfo at her check who's just like staring at me until I speak Spanish to him. And then he's like, okay, (laughs) it's a double agent. He's like, I know, I know. (laughs) Could Ginny and Georgia have existed without Blackish sort of bringing Bo to the forefront? You know, these are things that I think about. Could Kenyon Burris' influence in that way, even though a lot of his stuff is kind of the same concept, it's a concept we don't have a lot of yet. And so it's still funny. It's still new. There's still a lot to explore in there because we don't have that kind of comedy on the regular. I think the first mixed couple on TV that I ever like acknowledged, I think it was the Jeffersons. One of the neighbors in the apartment building that the Jeffersons lived in was the wife was black and the husband was white. And that was in the seventies. But then I don't remember seeing, I don't remember seeing, I'd have to, I'd have to dig deep into my brain files to go more yeah other like references Mm -hmm. the jefferson sticks out because like that's the first time i ever saw it it just because i watched the jeffersons at my grandparents house a lot and so like brought those memories of like childhood i've just been missing my grandparents all four of them a lot lately so it just kind of you know happy happy feelings well i want to hear about your grandparents sometime it sounds like your granny was just a sharpshooter (laughs) she was a peach (laughs) she was speech or she was the best human you've ever met it really just depends on who you talk to I like that sounds fun I think she had like a touch of gypsy in her because she would sometimes like say things you've told me this and you said that you feel like you have it I love that yeah I feel like I'm gonna sound like a hippie now but like if you have intuition the more you tune into it the more you get so follow it so I never really like thought about it and then in pandemic, I'm realizing how many of like these premonition dreams I have that come true. Right. And I started cataloging it. (laughs) And then I started, I was like having this sort of like conversation with my mom about the last time we were in North Carolina, which was forever ago. And she was telling me the story about something that like my granny said and like sort of did. And then like the pastor of their church did. And then like this weird thing happened, not like a weird thing happened to my mom, but just like, you know, there was just this weird thing that sort of happened as a result of thing that my granny had done. 
And I was like, so, you know, 16 years, a witch doctor. Yeah. 16 years later, it's like after I've done not like a super deep dive on gypsy culture and life, but like started to a little bit, learn a little bit more about gypsy culture and life in England, at least that I was like, granny, (laughs) were you saved by the grace of God? Cause you were trying to course correct some of this gypsy shit that was going on. I feel like now I just want to hear about her. Tell me her life story. I don't know her life story, <laughs> Christina. Well, who they knows? They don't talk it? about those people born in the twenties. Don't talk about shit. She, but I do know that she used to tell people she was Jewish, and like her stepdad was Jewish, supposedly. And she wore a star of David, and she like they weren't allowed to play outside as children because you know you'd get this. You know the sun kisses everybody's skin, and so <laughs> she. Oh, we're Jewish we are why don't we celebrate hanukkah for jewish like why aren't we celebrating any of the jewish holidays why do you go to a baptist church then and not a synagogue like i don't understand how this makes any sense actually now i'm dying to know like are there other black families who had relatives because you hear about lighter skin folk passing for white that's like the premise of vanishing half by Britt bennett so now i'm like but how people are trying how many people back then were trying to pass for jewish especially in the 30s because the 1930s was not kind to the our jewish brothers and sisters so like a lot of this stuff doesn't compute for me so i'm like i need henry lewis gates jr can you please do a deep dive on my family history because i am confused by my grandmother's stepfather quote, being Jewish, his death certificate full on says when it says in the ethnicity or race box, it says colored. So he clearly died in the sixties, but like what I need answers and I don't know how to find them. <laughs> how do I get the answers to all this? <laughs> I'm not kidding. She straight up wore a star David. I would love so much if she wasn't Jewish and she just really, really wanted to be. And that's how hard she went. You know, she's like, no, I'm Jewish. But then doesn't that like fall under cultural appropriation? Like now I have all, I have so many more questions now based on this conversation. But you know what? She loved the shit out of me and she like was always loving towards me. Even up into the end, she would, I would call her all the time and I would spend summers out there. They lived on a farm in Daener. For those of you who don't know, Daener is about 15-ish miles Southeast of Modesto. So something that I didn't put in the notes, but I think is really interesting. And I think actually was like a really good move on the writers of mixed dishes part, the juxtaposition of the family sitting around loving Dukes of hazard and watching that as their family show a black family. One of the, I, I don't know if it's in like the intro of the show or what, but she was like rainbow says that she's like, we're sitting around watching two good old boys and like with a truck with a Confederate flag hanging out the back yeah, and yeah. she pauses and then she keeps going. And I'm like, yeah, what? <laughs> yeah. So like I mentioned before, my dad worked in law enforcement for a very long time and we weren't allowed to watch Dukes of Hazard because of the portrayal of law enforcement in it, because that wasn't representative of who my dad was in his career. Only exposure I had was when I would go to my grandparents' house and it would be on TV. (laughs) But when you get to be an adult and realize just some of the homages that the Dukes of Hazzard has for a very specific type of era in U.S. history, I think it's very representative of just how much we didn't necessarily look at or pay attention or challenge what was going on or how things should make us feel. And yes. That's why that's it's a good so, way to put that. so funny now. And then two, the internalized racism that happens when you don't is because I think that's what the point of the pauses of Bo saying good old yeah. boys in the Confederate flag. It's this acknowledgement yeah. of like, there's internalized racism here that we didn't know, like that we didn't have the language for to, do, to identify as such. And we didn't necessarily like see it as we a bad also, thing because like- of let me finish my thought. And we Sorry. didn't necessarily see it as a bad thing because we were still sort of in an era of learning. And that's the generation that started the whole colorblindness. So to level the field of like, we're all the same. So it's really like, that was just such a great 
moment in the show where it was just like that pause was just so like let's you settle in and then the context of the show the episode comes in and you're just like holy shit whoever wrote this episode needs to be nominated for a fucking emmy who was your favorite character on the show mixed dish Mm, i like denise a lot because (laughs) (laughs) i just i love i love the character that's like it's always like it's always an aunt or an uncle just someone who like really just brings you back to reality in a very abrupt way that's always my favorite character probably because it's my least favorite person in life Mm. I like watching it in a controlled setting like on a show yeah if that makes any sense but they're always the funniest on the show but that's probably because my whole life I'm surrounded by those people and like it's uncomfortable yeah I like you better in a buttoned up 30 minutes. Yeah, I like you and you just polished and someone else wrote your lines. Yeah. <laughs> but I love Santa Monica. I think it's because she's the youngest and there's something about that. It's probably because I'm the youngest, like the sass mm. and the like strength that the youngest has in a family that's like, mm, y'all getting too serious around here. Yeah. I'm going to bring it up. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm going to bring y'all back to reality with some like jokes and like, it just, she is so cute. She makes me laugh. Yeah. She seems like she's both 15 and five all at once, yeah. which I think only little girls have that power. I definitely love Santa Monica, but that's also because I am Santa Monica. And then too, when we see her in adulthood, and like I said, Rashida Jones plays her in adulthood on blackish. And I'm just like, that's the kind of like I'm Rashida Jones black. So <laughs> I, it was like the kind of like obvious representation right there is just so like, I feel seen. Um, <laughs> but I do love Alicia a lot. Her trying to navigate being um, a black woman in a professional setting in the 80s and then having these three children and then having a husband who. <laughs> Like there's an episode in the first season where they tell us that Paul drops out of law school. They say hippie or not black people still need a backup plan, Yeah, which was something that was like, I put a note under here that said like, we should acknowledge the privilege that white people get to be hippies. Like that's yeah. a privilege. There's that, a whole like there's you a, can be a hippie. There's a whole movement online too. Like all of these like female bloggers who are non people of color talking about, you know, let your children be wild and free and all this stuff. And that just can't exist for black children. Uh, yeah, I would say I would stretch it out to say mixed children because like my mom definitely raised us like with the sense of like with being Mexican, it was like, you do not act up in public. Mm -hmm. Like, no, you, you listen to us and whatever, you know, like if you're going to be wild and stuff, like I'm going to yell at you that you respect your parents. Like there's no, there's like an order and there's Mm -hmm. a discipline order. And part of it is because they don't want to be seen as causing a scene somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, And that's like, I don't know how to like, yeah, that's just that was something that like was very known growing up that I notice a lot more people who are mono, like just all white, like don't have that urgency, mm-hmm. I guess. Blackish touches on that too, where you know there's a very specific type of perception that you have to be able to meet if you want to be above the stereotypes. And mm-hmm. then what I think mixedish shows us is that there there is this fraction of a mixed community that does allow the freedom for their children to be who they are and to have a little touch of what we call wild. And so that's part of what the kids are grappling with now that they're back in society. Like the parents parents aren't curbing them on being who they are. They're really true to that. But it's society that's saying like, you can't be X. Yeah. Or Y or Z. (laughs) You gotta be A and A only. There is a lot of vulnerability happening in this episode, and after listening to it, there's so much more that I want to say and speak to, but I won't. If you want to join the conversation, find us on Instagram, at popculturemakesmejealous. Tune in next week when I review the Best Picture nominees at the 93rd Academy Awards. The Academy Awards ceremony will air on April 25th, 2021. Catch y'all next time.